If our Savior submitted to the Word of God, if our Savior, Jesus, used the Word of God to put Satan in his place, how much more ought we to use God's truth and God's Word? You know, some of us get beaten up by the devil because we're willfully ignorant. Well, any military leader will tell you that to win a battle, you need the right weapons. The same is true in our spiritual warfare. To fight Satan, we need what only God can provide, the truth of His Word. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. We're in a series of messages titled, Unmasking Satan. Join us as we learn more about how to defend against the tactics of our enemy. In the last couple of weeks, Crawford discussed the background of Satan and his plans for us today. If you're a follower of Christ, Satan's aim is to disrupt your spiritual growth and shut you down. But we have a formidable defense. It's the truth of God's Word, the Bible. The Bible reveals the words of God, and those words are our weapons when Satan attacks with temptation, condemnation, and an emphasis on our inadequacy. As believers, we don't fight battles alone. We have God's strength. Well, Crawford has titled today's message, Our Victorious Savior, and our text will be Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. One of the things we learned last time was that Satan's goal is to replace God. Let's learn more. Our text again, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy. Occasionally, I think every once in a while in the life of a church and individuals, we need to go back and revisit the nature of our enemy and understand who he is and what, he, what he's trying to do to us. This is not a series necessarily on spiritual warfare. I suppose I could talk for three, four months on the whole uh, ins and out of spiritual warfare, but this is a series on unmasking Satan. Three messages uh, that speak, speak about who he is, our victory in Christ, and how to win the battles. We began talking about um, a scouting report on the devil. Just who is he? And a lot of us as Christians, we have some kind of crazy conclusions about who, who the devil is. But the Bible is not, not silent about it, very clear about who our enemy is. Uh, he, he was the anointed cherub that covers it, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, which means most scholars believe, and I agree, that he had access to the very presence of God. Now, it's one of the grand mysteries of all time and of theology as to the origin of evil. How there was no evil in heaven, how did pride well up in him? We don't know, but we do know that it did visit him, and that's the reason why he was thrown out of heaven. Made the observation last week that Satan's strategy is very clear. Some of us think that all the devil wants to do is disrupt our families and mess with us and cause us to do little dirty, nasty things and naughty stuff, that kind of thing. But the overarching strategy of Satan is much bigger than, than we uh, uh, want to give him credit for. According to Isaiah chapter 14, his strategy is, get this, get this, he wants to replace God. You have to understand that. That the enemy's strategy is to replace God. God. Now, I made an observation last week, and I think it's important for me to go over this. I don't review usually this much, but I made the observation last week to, to avoid the two extremes whenever you talk about all things demon and devil and evil and mystical. We've got to avoid these two extremes. 
But I find that as Christians, we don't do tension well. We don't do balance well. We typically go to one extreme or the other. One extreme is to ignore him, minimize him, uh, put him into a little box and category and just sort of like not deal with him and blame all the problems that we have in life on either some of the things that happened to us in our background or, you know, imbalances in our chemicals or, or season of life stuff that we're going through changes or, or this or that or that or this. And we minimize him, and that's a huge mistake. That's a big mistake. That's a big mistake. The other extreme, which is equally wrong, and I find, unfortunately, a lot of Christians, when they start studying the dark side of the devil, they start studying demonology, they start studying these things, there is sort of like this, uh, so this backhanded way of worshiping him. In other words, we get so obsessed with these things. We get so obsessed with what demons can do and what this can take place. And before you know it, we start blaming the devil for everything. We find a demon behind all kinds of stuff. And as I mentioned last week, no, no, the devil's not behind everything that's wrong in our lives. Paul calls it the flesh. Lying is a part of the flesh. Poor devil ain't had nothing to do with the lie you told. You just told it because we're fallen. Lust is a part of the flesh. That's not a demon. That's just part of the flesh. That's part of who we are. Anger, that's part of who we are. And so we have to hold these things in tension and deal with the devil the way the Bible clearly deals with him, but don't add in between the lines. That's what happens to us. We'll take an implication and make it something that it's not supposed to be. And so we deal with Satan the way the Bible prescribes that we deal with him. I mentioned last week that there are 16 names of the devil that fall into two categories. The first, uh, uh, yeah, the first seven names uh, speak of the fact that Satan is a personification of evil. That's who he is. He's the personification of evil. Uh, the next nine names speak of Satan in terms of what he's doing. He is relentlessly going after us. He is the relentless, aggressive, aggressive opponent of righteousness. And I think if there's one key word to understand Satan, it's the word deception. Deception, and I would put it in parentheses, distortion. He deceives us and distorts the truth. Distorts the truth. The major emphasis of the New Testament, by the way, when we talk about all things demons and we talk about all things devil, the major emphasis is the victory of Christ. The victory of Christ. You, you, you don't find Paul speaking of the devil and demons apart from the context of the victory that belongs to our Savior. And that's what I want us to see as followers of Jesus Christ. I don't want us to, to, to one-off this thing and separate or segment spiritual struggle from the victory that's already been given to us. In fact, that's the overarching thought that I want to share with you today is that the foundation and source of our victory over Satan is our victorious Savior. The war has already been won, and Jesus stands with us to grant us victory in every battle we face. We do not have to be defeated by Satan. The war's been won. I'm not neutralizing the devil. He's still fighting us, and there are battles 
but the war has been won. The book ends with the devil having been thrown in the lake of fire. God declares what he's going to do to him, and all these other events declares his victory over him. Now there's real struggle and there's real battle. There's some guerrilla warfare that's going on, and he's coming after us hot and heavy, and I would say even more so as the time comes near for the return of our Savior. Now, what do we think in terms of victory? As I was preparing this message, my mind went back to that incredible, great foundational hymn by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You know, sometimes we sing these great hymns without marinating into the very words and theology around these hymns. This is an amazing hymn. This hymn actually is is Martin Luther's uh, uh, testimony to the power of our great Savior and the victory that's been won over the enemy. Listen to these words. I'm going to read the entire song to you, the entire hymn. Luther writes, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above our earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, this body they may kill. God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. What an awesome God we have, and I want us to be thinking about that today as we go through this. I want to sail the greatness and victory that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want us to leave this place thinking about the greatness of our Savior. I want us to leave this place not mired in discouragement and depression and wondering whether or not he can come through for me. But I want to see him for who he really is. And I want to present this message in such a way that it's not just motivational speak or inspirational language or untethered things that are just nice, fluffy, sincere statements, but founded deeply in the work of our Savior. My, my struggle in my study this week was an interesting struggle. It was what not to say today. For the Bible is replete with the victory of our Savior. You can go almost any place and see his glorious conquering uh, 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 victory over the enemy. It's all over the place. But what I decided to do is to point to three events in which Jesus demonstrated his victory over Satan. Three critical events. One has to do uh, in the wilderness, secondly, before demons, and thirdly, at the resurrection. In the wilderness, before demons, and at the resurrection. The first event is in the wilderness. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is the inauguration of our Lord's earthly ministry. He is 30 years old now, and for the next three, three and a half years, 
uh, he's going to declare his mission. But I think it's very interesting that the very first thing that takes place in the inauguration of his ministry is that the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And as you walk through this, you find that Satan poses three temptations to Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let's pick it up in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. By the way, who led him into the wilderness? The Spirit led him into the wilderness. Little aside, I said, if you weren't here last week, I said last week this thing. Now listen to me on this. There's some crazy teaching about demons and about the devil, okay? Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Listen to me. The Bible clearly teaches that the devil cannot do anything to us that God doesn't give him permission to do. I didn't say, don't hear me, wake up. If somebody's sleeping next to you, do like this right now, okay? I did not say, I did not say that God sends evil. I didn't say that. What I said was that the devil cannot do anything to you that, he does, that God doesn't allow to happen. And this is the case right here. God allowed his son to be tempted of the enemy. Well, there's three of these temptations. So he's led, in the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And here's the first temptation. The first temptation is this. To act independently of the Father. That was the first temptation that Satan presented to Jesus. It says in verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan comes to our Savior and he says, and Jesus is hungry. Remember, he was 100% God, but also 100% man. He's out there in the wilderness, and Satan says, okay, that's fine. Okay, if you're really the Son of God, if that's who you really, really are, why don't you just go ahead and turn these stones to bread? You can do this. Just go do it. Go do it. You see, but Jesus knew that it, it was the Father's will for him to be hungry in the desert with no food. That was the Father's will. And Jesus was not going to allow his desires to break the will of the Father. And the enemy comes and says, I, I, you, you can do this. So act independently of God. You're, you're, you're God. But what does Jesus do? How does he answer him? Well, Jesus answers Satan by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And he, he says here, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, the, of, of God. What he's saying in essence is simply this. I'm here doing my Father's will. This is what God wants me to do. And it's more important for me to do the will of the Father than for me to have my physical need met. No, I'm not going to do this. The second temptation, the devil comes to him down here in verses 5 through 7. And this second temptation, he tested him to, to see if he would display his power and position apart from the will of God. Look what he, what he says in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now he starts quoting scriptures, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike 
your foot against a stone. And Jesus responds in verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. A couple of quick observations here. Satan once again wanted Jesus to cave in and do what the people were expecting him to do. If you're, you're the son of God, uh, you can display your power and position. Just go do it. You can do it. Jump off this thing. Well, Jesus answers him by quoting once again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Now, you might miss something here. I don't want to get too granular here, but when Jesus says to him, <laughs> you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, That's a subtle reference to his own deity. Yeah, I am God. That's exactly right. You you, you nailed that. I'm God. But I'm not going to do this. So he comes in the third time. The third temptation he gives to Jesus is to deliver the kingdoms of the world to Satan in exchange for his worship. That Satan would deliver the kingdom of the world to Jesus in exchange for his worship. Um, verse 8 says, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now you say, how could Satan do that? Well, remember last week, if you were here last week, I underscored the fact that Satan is in control of the world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is behind the, the world system. He's behind world views. He's behind the philosophies of the world. And for those who do not acknowledge God, he's behind the politics of the world. Demonic activity is happening in very sophisticated places. And so when he says, look, I'll give you the kingdom. He wasn't blowing smoke at that point. Yeah, I'll give this to you. I'll give you the world. Well, how does Jesus respond to him? And by the way, he says, if you worship me, again, remember I said it is a goal of Satan to replace God. This was part of his strategy. Can you imagine the audacity? The sheer, what is it? Let's see, this expression, huxba. And he's talking to the second person in the Trinity, the everlasting Son of God. And he says, look, you bow down and worship me. (laughs) Unbelievable. What an idiot. (laughs) What an idiot. So Jesus responds, okay, let's bottom line this thing. I I love the way Jesus responds here. He says, uh, uh, Verse 10 says, then Jesus said to him, three words, be gone, Satan. Are you serious? Hit the pavement, man. Get the stepping. Be gone. The, the living word responds this time. Go. I know who I am. I'm God. You, you're not going to give me anything. In fact, by the end of the game, You're going to be destroyed. Be gone. And then, by the way, Satan was hustling out or so. Jesus says, let me me give you another line from the Scriptures. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only 
shall you serve? Jesus once again quotes the scripture, closing the deal with the devil, at least for that time, and the scripture says that he left for a season. I'm gonna talk about that next week when we talk about winning the battle. How that there are evil times, there are evil seasons in our lives. There are times of spiritual attack in all of our lives. We've all been, been there if you've been a believer for any length of time. Well, let me give you some lessons here. Lesson number one, as you go through this and you watch how Satan, how Jesus dealt with Satan, the attacks, the temptation, the stuff that he threw at him, the very first thing you're, you're, you're drawn to is the power of truth. The power of truth, the power of the word of God. If our Savior submitted to the Word of God, if our Savior, Jesus, used the Word of God to put Satan in his place, how much more ought we to use God's truth and God's Word? Some of us get beaten up by the devil because we're willfully ignorant. We don't know truth, and I don't mean to be lecturing or condescending or to be, you know, fussing at anybody this morning, but it is true that the, the, the devil flees from truth. It is a power of this word. Listen to me. When you quote the word of God to the enemy, you're using the very voice of God. When he comes after you and you start quoting what God said, it's not you saying it. God is speaking. And so there's the power of truth. And second lesson is what he used to defeat Satan. It wasn't strategies, wasn't ideas. Frankly, it wasn't even his prayer group. But once again, he used truth. And his example teaches us time and again that we've got to know and use this book. You know, Satan cannot be successful without deception. He can't. He can't be successful in your life or my life without deception. He absolutely can't do it. God's truth, you know, just weakens and reveals and unravels Satan's schemes. But the devil comes to us like, the, you know, these mirrors you see at state fairs and carnivals. They, you know, stand there and this distorted stuff, you know. I tell Karen, the mirrors at the house distort my image. She said, no, no. Um, well, that's how the enemy comes to us, doesn't he? Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, the first part of his message, Our Victorious Savior. We're in a series of messages titled Unmasking Satan. And today Crawford presented the first of a few lessons from our study. Lesson one is the power of truth. And the second, what Jesus used to defeat Satan. And more about that next week. Well, the Gospels record Jesus' many encounters with demons. And next time, Crawford talks about the demon-possessed man in the region of the Gerasenes that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus meets up with this man, and the confrontation is on. But the outcome is amazing. That story next week. Now, if you joined us partway in today's message, catch all of it on our website stream or download the entire series for free through the link on our website. Add it to your listening downloads at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. 
Please take a few moments to let us know you listen. A short email is all it takes. Look for the Contact Us link on the website. Tim says, I listen to your program every Sunday on the way to church. The truths you present and the way you present them is an inspiration to me. I serve in the leadership of the church, and your fearlessness in confronting topics that are difficult gives me boldness to approach those truths and others in the same manner. Well, thank you so much, Tim. And hope you'll leave us a comment this week at livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.